0: Alrighty, and welcome to those who are listening online as well. So, Aaron, if you want to pop up. Uh, last week during the message, I, I, I asked a few people a question uh, What will you be doing at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning? And what are you trusting God for? And I, I just was thinking before that even though Aaron works here, you may not know him all that well um, just yet. So, I thought I'd ask him this question before he gets up and preaches. So, Aaron, what will you be doing at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning? Um, I'm hoping you'll be in the office working. (laughs) (laughs) But what will you be doing tomorrow morning? And uh, what are are you trusting God for?
1: Um, Okay, so (laughs) thanks. Um, At 9am, I will probably be back in my office after I've gone one round inspecting the fences to make sure there are no more pop fences. At 9am, I will be in my office and I will be, likely I'll be praying. Um, I need to always start the day with a prayer, uh, start my work with a prayer, start the week with a prayer, and I'm trusting God that uh, not only will He keep the facilities uh, in tip-top condition for His glory, but that He will also use me, my time here, for the rest of the week in whomever I encounter to bring the message of Christ.
0: Very good. We can pray for you for that, and I'm going to pray for you for, as you share the word with us today, and also Tim's going to read the word for us in a second. Father, we thank you for the message you've placed on Aaron's heart today, also for the, uh, the mission and the mandate you've put on his heart in his role here and just as a follower of Jesus. Lord, we pray uh, that those things he's trusting you for would come to fruition, um, not just in his life, but in all of our lives as members of the Billabong. And this morning, Lord, may the word that you put on his heart from the scriptures, may it speak to us to encourage us, to challenge us, to motivate us, to be your disciples, to be uh, those on mission with you in this world. And we thank you that, Lord, you're going to encourage us this morning and, and, uh, and, and light the fire in our hearts, fan the flame in our hearts, Lord, our passion for you and for those whom you love. In Jesus' name, amen. Tim, if you want to read... For us from end of Mark. Uh, Righty,
2: I've got it anyway. I'm good. (laughs) Cool. Righty. So uh, this is Mark sixteen, verse nine to twenty, ESV. But they did not believe them. Afterward he appeared to the eleven themselves, as they were reclining at the table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and, they, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you right now, myself included, Lord, we just want to sit at your feet. And we ask, Lord, that you open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes. Lord, that we may see wonderful things in your word, O Lord, and that we may grasp what your Spirit is saying to us. We may be able to hear your voice. And Lord, we know that one word from you will be able to change everything. Just one word, Lord. So we desire to hear your word today, this morning. Lord, would you come and speak to us. We commit this time to you right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessed morning, everyone. Could I request for the sermon just bring down the mic volume a little bit because my my daughter just reminded me not to shout into the mic. (laughs) It's really tough when you are blessed with a loud voice. (laughs) Now, this message, we have come to the end of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 16. Now, what have we covered so far? We have looked at chapter 1 to 8, who is Jesus? We have looked at chapter 8 to 11, what does it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah? And from chapter um, 11 to 16, how did Jesus become king? are three parts that we have followed right now. But chapter 16 is not the end of the gospel. We have reached the end of the Gospel of Mark. But as Mark says in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We are far from the end. In fact, we have reached the most critical and the crucial point in the story, in this Gospel, the launch point for us as Christians, as disciples of Christ. So what does that mean for us today? Now, if you look at your Bibles, you will see that in some of your versions, in the NIV version, perhaps in the ESV version, you will see a note in there that says Mark 16 9 to, verses 9 to 20 is not included in many, many manuscripts, in the early manuscripts. And true enough, yes, it was omitted from the earliest manuscripts. But having said that... Um, what was written in verse 9 to 20, most theologians and commentators will be able to tell you that it is still consistent with the early church tradition. Now, the early church tradition that was captured in Matthew, Mark and Luke were um, regarded as canonical. It was regarded as authoritative, credible, good for instruction. So that's why this morning we still have got a message to share from verses 9 to 20. Now, if you look at verses 9 to 20, very quickly, I'm not just going to um, uh, labour on this point for too long. You will see that there are three segments within. Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene, the two disciples, the Great Commission, and you're talking about the accompanying signs and wonders. Right? So if you were to look at each of these three, you would see that first um, Jesus appearing to the two disciples and to Mary Magdalene, you will be able to find corresponding accounts in it, in Matthew, Mark, and, and, sorry, in Matthew, Luke and John. So we will just quickly flash through the slides on this because I want to just get down to the main message right now. Now, if we look at this verses 9 to 20, I have just broken it up into two main parts. The first part would be, one, the unbelief and the hardness of heart of the disciples, and two, the Great Commission. Now, if you look at the first part, the unbelief and the hardness of heart, here you have the account in these verses here that says uh, Jesus actually appeared to Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene saw him, went back to the disciples, told the disciples they didn't believe her. They said, no, it can't be. Jesus appeared to the two disciples. They were on their road to Emanus, Emmanus, Emmaus. Okay, that place. <laughs> they were on the road with him. Their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. They spoke to him. They couldn't recognize him. He opened up the scriptures to them. He explained to them who is, who is the Messiah and what is he really all about. And just as at the, in the evening when he broke the bread, They recognized him and he disappeared. And the two of them went back to the disciples, told them, We have seen Jesus. And they said, Ah, it can't be. Now, what does that say? Jesus had actually foretold his death and his resurrection three times at least. It was recorded in the book of Mark Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 10. In all of these three accounts, in no unclear way, Jesus actually told them that he will be killed and he will be raised again after three days. In Mark chapter 14, Jesus actually said to them as well, in fulfillment of the prophecy from Zechariah, that you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. After I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. He even told them, where will he be meeting them? Where will he be going after he is raised? So what happened? The disciples had the words of Christ. They heard it. They were present. They witnessed his ministry. They saw all the signs and they saw all the wonders. But why was there still unbelief? and hardness of heart and it seems to be a recurring issue throughout the gospel of mark unbelief hardness of heart so if we think about it they had their knowledge of christ they had knowledge of his word but somehow that knowledge did not translate into the correct expectation so when someone told them Hey, Christ is risen. I've seen Him. He spoke to me. You're like, Ah, really? Knowledge and expectation. Now, I just want to quickly move on to this one quote that I have um, shared in my previous, uh, the previous time here. Faith perceives it. Unbelief Rejects it. That's by Royce Gordon Grunler. Faith perceives it, unbelief rejects it. When we receive the Word of God today, when we hear of testimonies from others about the goodness and the reality of God in their lives, or perhaps we ourselves have tasted and experienced the reality of God's Word in our lives does that all mix together to spur on our faith in Christ? Does that compel us to tell others and to help others to encounter the living Christ? Faith perceives it. Unbelief rejects it. Now in Hebrews 2.4, the author of Hebrews wrote this, the gospel was also preached to the Jews. They heard it, but this gospel, the word of God, did not benefit them. It did not profit them. Why? It was not mixed with faith. That's in the New King James Version. They did not take the word of God in faith as well. It was just Knowledge. And if it's just knowledge, it will translate into a set of expectations that will probably be misaligned and mismatched with God's original intent for that word. All right? Now, let's look, let's go on next. The Great Commission. The Great Commission in uh, Mark chapter 16, verses 15 to 20 we will see a parallel account of this great commission in Matthew chapter 28. Right? Let's let's go through the words here. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to to the whole of creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe Will be condemned, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, if we go down to verse 20, it says, And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. The Lord worked with them and confirmed the message. How? By accompanying signs. Now, lots of people have, have, have taken this and analyzed it in various ways. Today, we don't have the time to cover those various positions. But I'd like to focus on this one thing here. What do we do? There are three questions that we need to ask ourselves here from this passage. What do we do? How do we, why do we need to do it? How do we do it? What, why, and how? Firstly, what? What do we do? Let's look to Jesus. What was the message that Jesus proclaimed? When Jesus started his ministry, what was the message that he proclaimed? Let's, let's have a little bit of interaction. When, when, sorry? Oh no, excluding Luke, what, did, what, did, what was the message that Jesus proclaimed? Come on! Yes, when he first started out the message he said this, when he started out with his ministry, he said this, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Why? Because the kingdom of God is near. What was the message about? The message was about the kingdom of God. Jesus was the messenger who brought in the message of the kingdom of God, he ushered in the kingdom of God on this earth. Now, how did Jesus do it? Firstly, you would see that from his life, his ministry, his teachings, Jesus embodied the message. The way he did his ministry, the way he lived his life, the way he spoke, the way he taught, the way he went about, Interacting with people was an embodiment of his message. What was the kingdom of God all about? What are these beliefs and values? What is the language like? What is, the, what is kingdom culture? How do we live? What is kingdom living? Repent for the kingdom of God. Is at hand. It's near you. He told his disciples, "Go into the streets, heal, cleanse the uh, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out the demons. And when all these have happened, tell them the kingdom of God has come near you." That message was about the kingdom of God. Now, if we look at Luke chapter four. Verse 18, to, 21, or 18 to, 20, to 19, sorry. If you recall the, the, the case, the, the point where Jesus actually walked into the synagogue at the start of his ministry, and he, and he was given the scroll on Isaiah, he opened it up, and this was what he read from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now, if you think about all that he has done, isn't this a summary of what Jesus has done on earth? his ministry, his message, and what really he did. Jesus. So, when we talk about going into the world, by the way, a small point here. In here, Scripture says, go into the world, right? Does it say, bring people into the church? Go out there and bring all of them in. What does it say? It says, we go into the world. We have to step out. When we gather here together in church, it is a time where we celebrate together the goodness of God. We encourage one another. We edify one another with what the Lord is doing in our lives. Right? We support one another. For those who need support, we support one another. But after all of that, what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to go into the world and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? How does that look like? If I go to, if I work in the workplace, in the office, I walk into the, into the office and I proclaim the goodness of Christ. When I walk into school, I interact with my fellow colleagues or my classmates, I proclaim the goodness of Christ. When I walk into the supermarket and I'm having a conversation with somebody, I proclaim the goodness of Christ. That's what it means by going into the world. Does it mean that, no, it's supposed to be a case where everyone comes into church, then the pastor Luke will proclaim the goodness of Christ? No. This is a command, this is a commission that is given not only to pastors, not only to priests or high priests, it's given to everyone who is called a follower and a disciple of Christ. Everyone who is called in name as a child of God. That's our identity. Alright? Now, what was the pivotal point of Jesus' ministry? We know the story. That Jesus lived His life, He did His ministries, He did all the mighty works and signs and wonders. He went to the cross, He died on the cross for our sins, He was buried, but did He stay Buried? Did Jesus stay buried? No. Jesus rose again. Now that's good news, you know. Because if Jesus did not rise again, all of our preaching, all of our faith, as Paul says, is in vain. If he did not rise again, everything that he has said about the kingdom of God is just nice sayings. But because Jesus rose again, God is not dead. Jesus is alive. He is real. He is present. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding with us and He is working with us. There is a hope for tomorrow. As He rose again, He conquered sin, He conquered death, and so will we. Those who are in Christ, death has got no more hold over us. That is why we sing the worship song, I am no longer a slave to fear. Why? Because of death, there is fear. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, is there fear? No. Because He's alive and because He lives, I can Face tomorrow. How many of you know that song? Because he lives, I can't sing. I can face tomorrow. And because I know, I know he holds the and life is worth the living just because. <laughs> You're getting it. We sing about that. Is that sinking into us? All right? Now, I have to move on. Why? Why? Why do we need to go into the world to proclaim the gospel? Two reasons: Out of necessity, urgency. Necessity and urgency. Let's look at Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27. Hebrews 9:27 oh, sorry, this just go before that. I just missed that. Why necessity and urgency? Because according to the Bible, We have all sinned. And because of sin, we are under condemnation and we are under the wrath of God. So it means to say, the moment we were born, we were born with a sinful nature. We cannot change that. We cannot help ourselves with that. There's nothing we can do. But, but, there is hope. But before we go to that, let's look at Hebrews 9.27. Why is there an urgency? There is an urgency because it is appointed for man to die once. And after that comes judgment. There is no place for saying that when I cross that line and that threshold into eternity, that I will still be able to do something about it. It is not the same as saying that when I, if I, Aaron, walked into jail, maybe 30 years later, I could come out and have a new life. When I cross that threshold into eternity, when I close my eyes, I'm into eternity. And I stand before God and I will stand before God one day. All of us will meet our Creator one day. Once. Let's look at Romans 3.23. Paul says here, and he explains, all of us have sinned, and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. God is just, and God is holy. None of us can ever say, that we have got no sin. Now, do I still sin? Yes. At nine a.m. tomorrow, I hope that for that moment in time, I will not be in sin. But whenever I drive, oh, that's tough. <laughs> just yesterday, I was just praying and I was just thinking about the sermon, and there was just this um, uh, this person who gave me a honk from behind. And my first reaction was not, God bless you! (laughs) My first reaction was, dot, 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 dot. All of us have sinned at some point in time, and we fall short of the glory of God. But what is the penalty of sin? Let's look on, Romans 6.23. The penalty of sin, the wages of sin is death. We are not only talking about physical death, but we are talking about spiritual, eternal death. Mark 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Perhaps, let's put it the other way around in John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. It means to say our starting point was that the case is that we were born into sin, we are because of sin, we come under the wrath of God. And it's only by the grace of God, by the gift of eternal, by the gift that Jesus has done has given for us and made available for us that we can come out of the wrath of God and be reconciled to Christ, reconciled to God. That's why in Romans 8 it says there is therefore now no condemnation for whom for those who are in Christ Jesus. So there is urgency in that. There's necessity. And this urgency and necessity is now laid on us. We are commissioned as kingdom's agents. We are commissioned as followers of Christ, as bearers of good news, as carriers of God's presence into wherever God has planted you. Has God given you a passion for teaching that's your harvest field have god given you a passion to work in a supermarket that's your harvest field can you imagine someone the number of people walking into the supermarket every day to buy bread and says hey have you heard of a bread that when you eat you will not hunger or water that you drink and you do not thirst anymore At IGA here, there's this lady who who serves at the cashier Teal. And she greets, I have no idea whether she's a believer of Christ, but she sure looks like she's got more joy and happiness and zest than me. She greets everyone. Hello, love. Hi, lovely. It's a beautiful day. And she has conversations with you. Can you imagine wherever you are, It's, hello, did you know that Jesus Christ is alive? Okay, maybe not like that. (laughs) But you get the point. There is a mission that goes along with it. Now, let's move on. How did Jesus do it? Now, the whole sermon series that we have gone through this year is about being like Jesus. So we have looked at the Great Commission. They say, what was the message that Jesus proclaimed? How did He do it? And why was it that it's important? Now let's look at this one more part, one more facet of it. How did Jesus do it? He did it in partnership with the Holy Spirit. How many of you remember and recall the account that when Jesus was baptised, He went into the river Jordan. John the Baptist baptized him. And when he came out from the water, what happened? The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And following the baptism, what happened? Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 4, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness where he would fast and pray for 40 days. Right? And what did Luke chapter 4, verse 14 says, And Jesus, after fasting for 40 days, he returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. The Holy Spirit came on him. He fasted for 40 days. And when he came back at the start of his ministry proper, he came in the power of the Holy Spirit the holy spirit is not just someone who resides in us and just to attest yes as a seal and a guarantee to tell god that we belong to him yes that's what the holy Sp- that's one of the roles of the holy spirit but the holy spirit is also the one who empowers us just as the holy spirit empowers christ to do ministry so if we how do we know? There's one, there's one instance I'll share with you. Do you remember the part where Jesus was casting out demons? And then the Jewish leaders came by and they looked at him and casting out demons and they said, ah, Jesus cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. Right? What did Jesus say? Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, or you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub, who does your sons think they cast out demons by. Jesus says it doesn't make sense. If Beelzebub is the one that empowers Jesus to cast out demons by Beelzebub's power, what do you call that? Civil war. Internal strife. The house will not stand. So, and then Jesus went on in that account to talk about how that if there is blasphemy, against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. That sin will not be forgiven. What Jesus is saying is this, if I do all these works by the power of the Spirit of God, and if you say that these works that I do are empowered by the devil, by Satan, by Beelzebub, we are speaking against the Holy Spirit. So Jesus shows very clearly in his ministry, he operated through the gift of the Holy Spirit in partnership with the Holy Spirit. What did the disciples do? The disciples, they witnessed all of this. They saw what Jesus did. Jesus empowered them as well and they went out and they did the same. Now, I'd like to bring down this point that Paul actually talks about. Now, in 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5, okay, 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5, Paul said this, my speech and my message, that means the gospel of Christ, the proclamation on the gospel of Christ, were not implausible words of wisdom. But, in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but your faith might rest in the power of God. So that your faith will not rest on the wisdom of men. What's man's wisdom? about just words, but that your faith will rest on the power of God. How do you know that Christ is alive? How do you know that we serve a risen saviour? How do you know that we serve a living God? I think you have the answer. Now let me go on to this whole... uh, Let me... Okay, let me ask, witness, the word witness. What do you, when is a person considered a witness? What, what, what is in the normal sense of the word witness? A witness is someone who have seen, have seen things, right? Something happened, right? That's why you say that I'm called to be a witness, correct? In, 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 the, in the courts of law when is a witness when is a witness testimony particularly valuable when when the witness has got first hand experience a first hand encounter in that situation right that's a good witness and that's the type of witnesses that you want to have in a court of law in that sense right now we, of course let's not talk about trump and what's happening there but that's a witness let me share with you my witness now. Some people will think that Aaron is crazy. And some, of, some people still probably think that Aaron is crazy. Yes, I have got one honest soul. <laughs> Bless your heart. <laughs> for, for me, when I was working in the bank, when I was uh, a working in a bank. I was a school teacher. I was a banker again. And then I was called into full-time ministry. When God called me into full-time ministry, I gave up that salary. I gave up that position, that team. I gave up the entire corporate ladder in that sense, wherever it was. I've got two young kids, two young daughters, I've got a young family, I've got bills to pay. What would compel me to leave all of that behind? If it's not for the fact that I have encountered Christ as risen Lord, if it's not for the fact that I've encountered the reality of God in my life, none of that would have happened. If it's not for the fact that God actually, on His part, He saved and He protected my life three times, at least three times that I know that I could have died. If I had had that accident at the age of 14 years old, in an adventure camp in school, I wouldn't be standing here today telling you this story. My witness, let me share with you one thing this. Have I experienced the the power of God in, 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 in our lives? Yes. Does God heal? Does God save? Does God speak? Can I feel His tangible presence today? All of these were questions that I had. My mom used to preach to me. She used to pull me by my ear to pray. I used to resent that a lot. I don't know how many times my heart just went into an overdrive mode when she did that. And I asked God one day, I said, God, if you are real, you whom my mother worships, not I worship, you whom my mother worships, if you are real, then you show yourself to me that you are real. Because I, for one, cannot, do, cannot become a salesman. Why? Why? Because if I'm not convinced about that product, I will find that I have much difficulty telling you that that product is good. It's just like, you know, if Luke tells me, hey, this coffee is really good. If I drink it, and personally, uh, uh, it's alright. I have to experience it for myself. Now, in Singapore, when I was working in a bank, we used to have a domestic helper. She comes from the Philippines. She used to, to work with us as a family. And we agreed, my wife and I agreed, that whoever works with us, whoever comes into our family, will be treated as a family, which basically means that if our desire is to see our family members saved and we want to see them in heaven, then whoever, whichever of these domestic helpers who come into our path, we want to see them in heaven as well. This domestic helper came And she was from the Philippines. She didn't really quite believe in Christ. She came from a small village very far away from the city in Philippines. When she came, she told us that she's got five children. Number four and number five are a pair of twins. One of her children, one of her child has got epilepsy fits. And she will go into seizures several times a week. When she had to come to Singapore to work, she was totally heartbroken. She knew she needed the income, but she was very heartbroken over the fact that she's got to leave her child behind, especially when her child is always going into fits. So one day, we actually realized or we actually caught her sobbing. So we asked her what what happened. She told us the story about it. And we told her this. She says, do you believe that the God that we serve, His name is Jesus Christ? You might be working here in Singapore. You pray for her. Your daughter over there will be healed. Can you believe that Jesus heals? Well, she doesn't have much to depend on. She just says, yes. And so we pray. Her daughter had fits several times a week. It became a few times a week. It became once a week. It became once in a month. And the fits totally stopped till this day. Her daughter is grown up today. No more fits. Obviously, for our domestic helper, she accepted the Lord and she said, Jesus is real. So she goes back to the Philippines and she tries to tell her family about it. Her husband tried to kill her. While she was sleeping, her husband set a piece of cloth on fire and threw it on her. She came back heartbroken. We said this, do you believe that God desires for your husband to meet him as well, to be saved as well? And we pray for that. Husband, long story short, the husband had kidney stones, couldn't afford medical treatment, too far from the city, too expensive. We prayed for the husband, the husband's kidney stones disappeared. Husband accepted the Lord. We set up a church in the village. The whole family came to Christ. The villagers there heard about Christ and they witnessed the power of God in that village. My daughter Ashlyn, when she was born, she had what they call a condition called diaphragmatic hernia. She had a hole in her diaphragm. The hole was as large as the size of maybe a 20 cent coin or 50 50 cent coin. When she started breathing, all the intestines went through that hole, went and filled up the space behind the, 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 the cavity behind her lungs and her lungs couldn't expand when she was breathing. So as a result of that, she had shortness of breath. We didn't know anything. Two hours later, after, or about two hours after she was born, a nurse happened to walk by, looked at her and said, and she's all swallowed up, we couldn't tell, her, and she said, oh, could, could we do a check? On your daughter. One and a half hours later, I didn't hear anything from the nurse. I went over and said, hey, so what's the outcome of the check? I said, oh, your daughter is right now in ICU, in the intensive care unit. When the doctor called me over and she put up the x-ray, I told the doctor, "I saw the first thing that I saw on the x-ray was that her heart, you know, the, our heart is slightly to the left, right? Her heart was on the right. So I told the doctor, I think you got the x-ray photo the other way around. He says, no, no, no. You look at the markers, the left and the right marker of the x-ray, that's in the correct place. The reason why her heart was pushed to the right was because the large and the small intestines, the appendix, everything went up through the hole and occupied the space behind her lungs. Well, the good news is her stomach was still below. When they put a scope through I saw through that x-ray, the scope stopped at the stomach and everything else below the stomach was just white. It was not supposed to be white because there was supposed to be intestines there. It's supposed to reflect grey colour. So what happened was this. When I saw that, the first question that I had in my mind, God, why? Didn't we pray for her for nine months? I serve you in a church, we serve you in a church, we serve you as leaders in a church. We tell everybody that you are real, that you save, that you heal. Why is it that this thing is now happening to our firstborn, our daughter, and it seems and it feels like it's a cruel joke? Are you testing our faith? Are you pushing it to that point? What do we tell others? What do I tell my dad who is still not a believer? What do I te- now tell people who I've told... That Jesus heals and that He's good. So I remembered I went back, I went to the staircase of the hospital, and one of my wife's uncle came up to me, and we just sat down and we prayed. And I remembered I told the Lord this Lord, every life given to us in the form of a child is a blessing. But if, even if you choose to take her home, I will still bless your name. I don't understand that. I may not understand it, but your name I will still praise. We called the emergency. Um, she had to go for emergency ops and all that. It was $21,000 that I had to pay up front. And that's just for two weeks because they, two weeks of treatment and two weeks of stay, and they said that, you know what, generally in cases like that, if the baby, if the operation is successful, well, they may stay for about at least three weeks. What? $21,000 for two weeks? And they may stay for three weeks? Lord, where am I going to get the money? So I took my credit card with the least credit limit, gave it to them, wiped it out. That's about $5,000. $5,000. I said, I'll pay you the rest. Let's just get it done. We were talking to the surgeons. The surgeon said, hey, we are going to try a new procedure on your daughter, if you are agreeable. The first baby that we tried had seven days of recovery time. Your daughter is baby number two. Will you be willing? I was like, oh, baby number two. Talk about experience. What was typically the procedure? You have to cut from the back to the front, lift it up, put everything through that hole, put it back in, sew it back up. That was the normal procedure. The new procedure, three holes, a keyhole surgery. But still a new procedure. So okay, I will be willing to go for it. Seven days it will be. No, I didn't say seven days it will be. My, my dad, who was, was not a believer, was saying, okay, seven days is probably, let's take that. Let's try that. But when I was talking to the surgeon, I had no idea why. I had a huge prompt in my heart. And that prompt actually says, three days. So I told the surgeon, no, my daughter will be out in three days. My dad turned to me, and if he could, he would why are you doing that? Why are you saying that? Don't worry about the money. You'll get it, you'll get it all settled. I said, No, my daughter will be out in three days. She went through the surgery. She was not even one day old. It was supposed to be a four hour surgery. It became two hours of surgery. Her blood pressure and everything was totally stable. They pulled everything down, they fitted everything in, came the test. Two tests they, have they had to do. One test is feeding. You've got to make sure that what goes down comes out and doesn't come back up or stays in there. And two, they have got to make sure that her lungs, what's the extent of damage already made to the lungs, done to the lungs. So even if she has survived the feeding, she might grow up with damaged lungs and her lungs might be functioning only up to 20%. That was what they said was the case. When they did the test, her lungs were functioning 100%. She fed and it came out as quickly as it came in. (laughs) On the third day at 10 in the morning, the hospital gave us a call and said, your daughter is ready to be discharged. Third day. Today she's 12 years old. She's got a loud voice like me. Her lungs are working 100%. This is my witness. This is my first-hand encounter with God. This is my first-hand experience with God. You ask me how I know He lives. It's because of all of these. My question now would be to ask you, is the gospel real for you? Is the fact that that Jesus has risen from the dead, the fact that we serve a living God, is that real in your life? As the disciples encountered the risen saviour, as Paul encountered the risen saviour on the road to Damascus, have we encountered the risen Saviour. The extent that we can preach, the effectiveness of our preaching and our sharing will go only to the point of the revelation that we have received. I want to encourage us today. It is not my goal to preach or to convince you that about what Christian terminology would say, Holy Spirit ministry, about signs and wonders? No, that's not my goal. My goal is to ask, when was the last time or have you encountered the living Christ? When was the last time? Would you allow Christ Jesus to reveal Himself to you as the risen Lord? All we need to do is to come before Him. Perhaps not with the same audacity that I had, but to say, Lord, I want to know if You are real. I know I'm supposed to have faith in You, but as the man prayed, Lord, help my unbelief, help my heart. Lord, help my heart help me be able now to tell others that you are real. Do I still need faith to to walk through this road? Of course I do. Do I know whether or not I have a job for next year? I don't know. Do I know if I'm going to be around next year? I don't. That's the truth. But every time that I have breath in my nose, and I'm able to open my mouth to speak. I will be a witness of the goodness of God and the reality of God in my life. And God has never failed. Never. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His words are true. His promises are yes and amen. That is my experience. Can we bow our heads? I wonder how many of us here this morning... would want to have or you have a desire to encounter Christ. This Jesus that we are talking about, that we read about, that we hear about, I want to know if He is really real. Now, I I don't know how is that going to pan out, but I want to know. I've got news for you if you have that desire, that desire is all that Jesus needs to reveal Himself to you. It starts with a desire. The Bible says that God will reward those who seek Him diligently. If we have that desire, would you now, in your own way, in your own way, Just call out to Him now and ask Him to reveal Himself to you so that you might also then reveal Christ to the world. Heavenly Father, as we come before you right now, Lord, Lord, we pray, help our hearts. Lord, may you grant us such a revelation of who you are. Grant us such a revelation of your work and of your word. Let your word, O Lord, become flesh in us. Let your word, O Lord, become alive in us again. Will you, O Father, just reveal yourself, reveal your heart, reveal your love, reveal your nature, reveal your kingdom to us so that, Lord, that we are able to be the child of God that you desire us to be. We are able to be that kingdom's agent that you desire us to be. We are able to be that effective witness that you desire us to be. Lord, it is not of our own. It's all of you. Lord, we pray that for every person right now, Lord, who's just going through all the various challenges that they have in their life. As they turn, O Lord, their hearts to You, as they turn their eyes to You, to look upon You as risen Lord and as risen Saviour, Lord, would You meet them at the point of their faith? Meet them, O Lord, and honour their faith. And would You answer them, Lord, that they may be able to witness firsthand the power of God, the love of God, the reality of Christ so that they may tell this good news to others around them. Lord, let your Spirit rest upon every person, everyone who's hearing this. Let your Spirit rest on them. And may you do this marvelous and wonderful work in every life, in every family, in every household. Let healing flow, let restoration flow in every life and in every family right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, let all the glory go back to you and to you alone. In Jesus' name we ask and pray this. Amen.